Hello and welcome. My name's Stephen Dickens and you've joined us on the I'm a Mainframer podcast from the Linux Foundation. The Open Mainframe project is a collaborative project under the Linux Foundation collaborative project structure. And the Open Mainframe project is designed to advocate for Linux and open source on the mainframe. Today, we've got Eric Chevalier from Phoenix Systems, who's Phoenix Software, sorry, who's joining us on the podcast. Hello and welcome, Eric. Hello, it's great to be here. So I'm Eric, honored. <laughs> the, the honor's all mine. The honor's all mine. So thank you for joining us today. I was really interested by your bio when you sent it over. So I think this is going to be a good podcast for the, for the listeners. But one of the questions I do, I sort of use to get us started, just give us a little bit of background, do us an introduction, if you would, tell us a little bit about kind of where you've come from and, and your role of Phoenix Software. Okay. Well, I've been with Phoenix Software for 31 years now, which is really 31 out of um, about 43 years of experience in the computer business. Uh, it's been a good company to work for. I'm happy to be here. And it's given me the chance to work on a lot of different projects um, on a lot of different platforms. Uh, I came in originally to do some mainframe programming and to be sort of a liaison between the mainframe side of our company and PC development, which was just kind of getting started at the time. And uh, my boss, who's the owner of the company, felt it would be useful to have someone who had feet in both ground, both areas. My original experience was definitely IBM mainframes, uh, but I had sort of bought my first IBM PC back when it first came out, and that got me interested in the, the alternative platforms, the little systems. So my boss, Fred, felt uh, I could be useful in being the bridge between the two areas at Phoenix. That's interesting. It's a lot of my background is the same. I spent 10 years at HPE selling sort of distributed systems for them. And then I've come to the, obviously onto the mainframe platform the last 10 years. So it, it's good, as you say, to see that sort of foot in both camps. Maybe that's one area to go next to then. I mean, you mentioned sort of having that foot in both camps. I see from the bio you sent over, you've done some work in Linux. And, and from what I can tell back from the early days on the Maris distribution, so maybe just give our listeners an insight into your track record and what you've been doing in, on the platform over those years. Well, um, it's funny you mentioned the Marist Linux because that was the first distribution we started with on our system. It really was, you know, I had been familiar with Linux by that time because of my work with it on a PC. I loved Linux. I kind of really liked the Unix environment, a lot of the tools that are available. And, you know, we, you know, had been kicking around the idea of why don't we see what Linux on the mainframe is like and what it can do for us. It was originally a proof of concept. You know, we didn't have a lot of big budget to spend on stuff, but uh, we were able to carve out some space on our disks uh, for a, a VM. And the, dis the Maris distribution, the Debian at the time, as I recall, was free. So that, that was real pleasing to the boss. And uh, it, it was a successful uh, proof of concept. We got it up and running and it really was a nice little Linux environment. I think the only problem we had at the time was we didn't have any of these specialty engines on our, our processor. And so the Linux was running on the general purpose processors and it was 
consuming a, not a, a terrible amount, but a noticeable amount of CPU. Yeah, it's, it's interesting then we've made that obvious transition to those speciality processes with uh -huh. the you know, integrated facility for Linux and now sort of standalone machines that mm -hmm. only run Linux with the Linux one branded. Uh -huh. uh, but it's always interesting to the guys to chat to the guys. And I have the pleasure of working with a few of them out of the labs in Berlin who were involved back with the Maris distribution. And, and we love our friends from Maris who were part of the project. Um, you know, Harry and the team over there, they do such a great job. So I always find it fascinating to listen to people who are kind of breaking new ground and bringing Linux onto the platform back in 99, 2000. It's, it's a fascinating period in just the history of what we're, we're seeing on the evolution of the platform. I don't, I don't think we had any specific applications in mind when we put that system up. Uh, I kind of, as I, it's been about 20 years since we put up that Marist. And I think you know, one of the first applications was a, an instant messaging server. And over time, it got to a point where we, we, we realized there were other things we could be doing on the Linux. So we upgraded, we got an IFL. Um, we got, uh, decided to go with Red Hat. We had been using that on our uh, Intel-based uh, system that was our public web server and email server it seemed to work fine. So we decided to go with them for the mainframe. We uh, put, wound up putting more and more applications on our systems. We now have two uh, de dedicated, uh, dedicated in the sense that they are VMs in our environment. Z Linux 3, Z Linux 4. Um, one of them runs our internal primary name server. Uh, we still have that instant messaging server. We have uh, IBM Spectrum Protect server running on one of the Linux boxes. We have our problem tracking system. You know, the Linux boxes have gone from being a proof of concept in our environment to absolutely essential systems that we couldn't run without. So we're happy with them. I mean, that, that evolution is what we see in a lot of our clients. I mean, I, I have the pleasure of chatting to clients every day who are on this journey. And a lot of them have got that same path that you've on. They start with the POC, they get mm -hmm. comfortable with the platform, and then they started to bring more and more workloads on just because it makes sense for them. Uh -huh. So, I mean, pivoting there a little bit, you talked about being on the pioneering front end of what we were doing with Linux on the platform. And then I look, you're, you're doing the same thing again with open source and Zoe on, yep. on ZOS. So kind of give me that same perspective sort of 20 years later, Mm -hmm. going back to a new technology and a new sort of movement on the platform. Do you see the same parallels? Do you see the same sort of pioneering spirit? What What's the experience? We do, but it's interesting. We did, that first Linux was like, that. it was just proof of concept. We just wanted to see if we could run Linux on there. With Zoe, we think that's going to be an essential um, complement to our existing biz products. So we're starting out with the position that this is not just a, a proof of concept. This is real systems we're going to be developing to enhance like our EJS product specifically. So we're taking it seriously. Um, I was kind of the pathfinder on the project. I installed the first version. I think we started with 1.0 or 1.1. We're now up to 1.10. Uh, we just recently started or are going to start using the IBM distribution of Zoe. 
uh, it has some advantages uh, in that it can be uh, maintained as part of our mainframe standard support system. And uh, so tell me a little bit about what Phoenix is doing with related to Zoe. I think that'll be interesting for the listeners. We're seeing, and, and I always find it fascinating to see, you know, there's the open source community around Zoe just churning along and moving and trying to get better and better versions out. And then it's interesting to see the adoption and what people are doing with that and how it's going to live and breathe within their own products and within customer environments. So maybe just give me the link, if you don't mind, between Zoe and Phoenix. And you mentioned, I think, your Aegis product. Kind of I'm just elaborate a little for the listeners. Yeah, our EGES product is, uh, it started out as a competitor to SDSF for the JES3 environment. Um, uh, and uh, it has, it, it was developed about 20 years ago, 20, close to 30 years ago. It was something that Ed, my colleague Ed was working on when I joined Phoenix. And it's uh, an interface to the spooler system. Uh, we have quite a customer base for it. But Zoe looked like an uh, excellent way to be able to provide Zo our EGES facilities, not through a green screen 3270 terminal, but through web browsers and uh, alternative techniques. So um, we have developed a REST API that to, can be used to interface to our EGES system. And in conjunction with that, we're also developing Zoe CLIs that will be able to access those REST APIs. We have, for instance, a, a CLI that will let you stream the uh, syslog or the opera log down to your PC. And we figure there are opportunities for being able to do scripting types of activities by people who are not necessarily really mainframe knowledgeable. We give them a tool that lets them use the existing thing, tools on the PC or the Unix environment that they're familiar with to be able to access mainframe components. So you're taking Zoe to kind of provide that graphical user interface and that you know, API driven sort of front end and get that modernized and transform the experience. So, so you don't have to do that in the core of the product and take on that. You know, you, is that a, so it's kind of an abstracted kind of layer on top of the Aegis product? Is that the right way to think I, of it? I think that's a way of saying it, yeah. I mean, the, it, the core product that runs on the mainframe is always going to be the core product and has yeah. the primary functionality. But if we can present that and make that um, functionality available in user-friendly ways, ways that are user-friendly to the non-AIB, non-mainframe people that are starting to become involved with mainframes, uh, we think that's a good uh, good move. And that's a fantastic use case, I think, you know, and this is why I was keen to pull on it to understand, because uh, I think the more time I've spent in the open source community, it's that innovate where it makes sense mm -hmm. and then collaborate where there's just the opportunity to go and get composable value that you don't have to go and do the development work. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the interesting piece you guys can focus on the Aegis kind of product and make that as fantastic an experience for your clients as possible. And then just get the benefit of Zoe that's happening as a community project. And you can invest and get involved in Zoe 
but you don't have to take all the work on yourself. I think that's really interesting kind of what's the commercial adoption and the, you know, you're selling a product with Aegis Mm -hmm. and there's an open source community going on. How do, how do those coexist? I always Mm -hmm. find that fascinating to, to see how companies are exploiting that. Mm -hmm. We think it's going to work out well for the Aegis product. And, and then, how are you finding that community experience? What are you, what, what's been the reaction? I, I mean, I, it's been fascinating for me seeing the Zoe crowd kind of find their feet, get product out of the door, build a community. Have you, you sound like you've been in it for a while. Have you, what's, have you seen that grow? It's, it's been interesting. And there have been other people. Uh, I'm not the only one in the company who's involved in the Zoe project. And uh, it's interesting hearing their experiences as well as those of my own. Um, the, my impression is that this is a, the Zoe people are really dedicated to their project. They really want to see it succeed. They're extremely helpful. Um, we've had to, to call on them through their Slack channels um, on more than one occasion to help get resolution to problems we've encountered. Um, it has been interesting that many of them are really knowledgeable in the areas of open source, um, but they're not that necessarily that familiar with some of the mainframe cultural issues that come up. Um, we had uh, one colleague who was amused when he was talking to some people about uh, jazz and Jazz two, Jazz three, and they had pronounced it as Jess, and so you know some minor amusement there. And you don't want to get in. You don't want to get in the middle of Jazz two and Jazz three. I mean, you know that that that's that's a religious debate right there. That I've I'm not a ZOS guy, but I know at least that you don't get into that. So now I mean uh, it, that that for me is the interesting piece. Those two worlds coming together and uh-huh. infusing. I think uh-huh. that's really fascinating. And uh-huh. that, that, as a mainframe guy, that's the most kind of heartwarming part of the, the open mainframe project. Those two kind of open source and, and ZOS kind of coming together, uh-huh. I think. And I see you laughing down the Zoom if people don't hear this. But I, I think, you know, that for me is the, the, the most interesting piece about these two worlds colliding. Well, I, I don't see it as a collision because the two sides are talking to each other. And I think that's going to be beneficial to the mainframe side. And I think that's going to be beneficial to the open source side. Instead of the two groups being like two distinct, separate, and isolated areas. That they're talking to each other and working together. I think that's going to be one of the big benefits of the Zoe project. That even though it's not necessarily what they maybe have intended. But I think that communication is very helpful. Maybe I've seen too many collisions and maybe it's more now collaboration. Um, I got, it was interesting to see those worlds come together in the few, first few weeks and months. But mm-hmm. I think I kind of feel a fatherly pride having seen that community sort of develop and come together. I, I was involved before we set it up as a, as a project. And some of those early calls, listening to kind of mainframe ZOS guys, kind of mm-hmm. take the baby steps into uh-huh. open source was was it, 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 it's just fantastic a couple of years later where we are with mm-hmm. that community and, and the number of people that have come into it, you know, how they've got a code base out, 
how they got the conformance project, you know, mm -hmm. the stumble, the steps they went from sort of the three organizations who kind of gave the first code drops now into organizations like Phoenix and others kind of coming into that community. It's been really good to see. So give me maybe a little bit, if you would, Eric, on, on Phoenix, tell me, tell the listeners who may be aren't aware of Phoenix kind of, Give us a run through what you guys do. We talked about your Aegis project there, uh, product there briefly, but maybe just give me a sort of whistle-stop tour through what you guys do. Well, we've been in ISV since, I guess, the late 70s. Um, our original product was uh, called Condor, and it was a transaction monitor, time-sharing system, uh, originally, I think, developed for the DOS VSC environment and then poured it over to the, the what was then MVS. Um, out of that, we developed a product called Falcon, which was a data entry product. And that subsequently spawned a PC version of Falcon, which could talk to the mainframe version, exchange data and so forth. EJES was the next product to come out of our, our shop. And it was that uh, uh, SDSF for JES3, that was the intention, although we are proud of it and we think that it actually has much more functionality than SDSF for both JES2 and JES3. Um, we've had a variety of PC products. In uh, 2000, we acquired a company here in Tulsa, Oklahoma that was a data entry, uh, had data entry software for PCs and that's been where I've actually been based for about that long. The latest sort of announcement that we're involved with is the fact that we're taking, we are providing a product called JES 3 Plus that, you know, IBM has given indications pretty strongly that they were going to stay functionally stabilize JES 3. And I guess there's a lot of people in the JES 3 community that really depend on that product. And we're, we basically licensed the source code from IBM. And we, are, we have actually put out our general availability, release one of the product uh, about a month or two ago. And we intend to provide a completely compat upwards compatible um, uh, version of JES3 that customers can continue to use. And so where do, where are you? I mean, that's fantastic. Really good run through. I, I wasn't aware of so much of Phoenix. I've kind of known you through your membership of the project overall, but not didn't wasn't so aware of the product range. Where are, where do you fit into that for our listeners, Eric? What sort of what's your baby amongst those amongst those products? I'm I'm responsible for a number of things. Uh, I was like I said, the Zoe Pathfinder. Uh, I'm still kind of maintaining the mainframe side of it and uh, doing a little work on the CLI. Uh, I've been involved in supporting the, the Viking products, uh, and which really have nothing to do with the mainframe, but somebody has to keep those customers happy. I'm kind of a sort of a jack of all trades. I've been involved in some projects that didn't get anywhere. Uh, we had uh, some years ago a product that was going to be a biometrics um, keyboard uh, recognizer to tell who you are by the way you typed and that never really came out and we were unable to implement that so some of the stuff I've been involved in works real well some of it doesn't so that that's really interesting that kind of leads me on 
I mean, you're obviously a, got a long track record on the platform. We've got a lot of younger listeners and we we have the um, Open Mainframe Project interns come through every summer. I mean, what would be your advice to your sort of self? You know, you're coming out of college, that summer out of college, you know, you're, you're 22. What would you be recommending to somebody who's looking to build a career in the mainframe space? given your your sort of experience on the platform as you are now i would i would have to encourage them to if they can to get involved with the open mainframe project because if you're coming out of college now more than likely the mainframe is something that you never got a lot never got a lot of attention in your courses it's something that maybe you haven't had any any actual exposure to at all and you might tend to think that it's um it's why, why get involved with the mainframe? It's a dinosaur. It's dying. But there are a lot of companies that still use it for mission-critical applications. And the idea of expanding its, its ability to be used by people who come from that non-IBM background, if you get involved with something like Zoe, that's your chance to get involved in a project that can use the talents you probably have, the skills that you came out of college with to keep the mainframe dynamic and advancing and growing. So yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, I think I have the pleasure at IBM to work with some sort of recent college hires who've come in and seeing them go through the journey you just described. You know, I can bring something to this platform with my skills I don't have to be a 30-year veteran on the platform to understand it and add uh-huh. value it is a key sort of message, I would say. And it, it's not just Zoe because IBM, the way they have supported Linux on the mainframe, if you have Linux experience, that's immediately useful in an environment where maybe the only system they have is a mainframe, but it's a mainframe that's running Linux. Um, IBM... Um, uh, well, I, I'm not sure what I was about to say might be something that's under a, a non-disclosure. So <laughs> let's not get ourselves into trouble, Eric. We've done so well. Let's, so well. let's say that IBM, even in the mainframe environment, recognizes that Linux is important. And oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, it's almost forty percent of the platform that we ship now the the capacity on the platform is Linux. It's a strategic part of what we're doing and i mean i it's interesting from just my role within i b m what we're seeing and some of the strategic deployments with customers that are new to the platform that never had their mainframe before, but also clients who are looking to who maybe had got a thirty or forty year history with the platform who was who were getting into linux and and Linux in a big way. So as we start to think about wrapping up, Eric, one of the questions I always ask of our guests is, I've given you a crystal ball. You've got mm-hmm. the chance to look into it and, and maybe not pick stock numbers or, or stock prices or, or lottery numbers, but maybe all you've got is the ability to kind of look ahead to the future of the mainframe platform. From your viewpoint, where do you think we're heading? Where does the next sort of three to five years look? I think you're going to continue to see um, the mainframe enhanced uh, in ways that 
facilitate, I'm trying to think about using some big words here, facilitate the uh, ability to support things like Linux applications, open source applications, um, products that, that 20 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, people would never have thought of running that on the mainframe. So things like Linux, um, I was under the impression that IBM's working on kind of bringing containers to Linux. Um, whatever, I think their goal seems to be whatever you can run on your Intel box, you can run on the mainframe. Yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, that's definitely the vision. I mean, we're, we're working with some of the Linux distro providers, you know, obviously Red Hat around what they're uh -huh. doing with OpenShift and their container platform. We've got similar conversations going on with the guys at Canonical and, you know, we've got Suze a part of the project here and do great collaborations with us. You know, they, they're making some pivots within their product portfolio and we're looking to bring that to the platform with those guys. So I think I see that same vision that you do around what we're going to see more and more open source come into this platform mm -hmm. for sure. Yes. So Eric, any, any sort of final thoughts or comments or things you want to share with the listeners before we start to wrap up? This has been a fantastic few, I've, few I've, minutes. I've enjoyed the conversation. It's been fun sort of speculating on where were the mainframes <laughs> going. Um, it's been an interesting platform to be working on. It, I, I got my mainframe experience in college on an IBM 360 Model 30. That's what kind of hooked me. And uh, it's been an interesting, interesting road because it's been a road that always has new things to learn. And that's one of the things I like about where the mainframe is going is that the mainframe of today is not at all the mainframe that I was working on 20 years ago. And in what IBM is doing, encouraging uh, some of the things we've talked about, it's going to be continue to be an environment where there could be more things to learn. So Eric, that was a great audition for my job. I couldn't have wrapped that <laughs> podcast up any better. I mean, what a fantastic way for us to finish. It's been great chatting to you, Eric. I think the listeners, are, the listeners are going to really enjoy the show. I think a great perspective. Certainly go and check out Phoenix Software. So I'll wrap us up there. My name's Stephen Dickens. You've been listening to the I'm a Mainframer podcast brought to you by the Open Mainframe Project. Please click on the links below and subscribe and give us a rating. We'd love to see you on future shows. So thank you very much.